We need to understand that if we are humans, our body is the most important magical instruments we have. This is our most important alchemical laboratory. We can produce all states of consciousness in our bodies. Hey there, I'm Stan Stoniker back with the Hub Culture Chronicles. Today, we're in the foothills of the Italian Alps in Piedmont at a place called Damanhur. Damanhur is one of the most interesting places I've ever been, and it's a place I've been hoping to come to for quite a long time since some friends told me about it on another faraway place in Hawaii. Damanhur is an experiment and a project, and joining me here to talk about Damanhur is Esperide Ananas Amatista, and she is a kind of beacon, a person who can explain what we're doing here. Welcome. Hi, Stan. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me on this super interesting chronicle. <laughs> Thank you. Well, this is our 54th episode. And um, over the last couple of years, we've been talking to many interesting people around the world. And, you know, I had heard about Dom and Her from a friend of mine in Hawaii last summer. And ever since, I've been wanting to come and to have the opportunity to come and experiment and to learn with your team and the people in this community has been a great pleasure. Can you please tell us and our friends in Hub Culture, what is Damanhur? Yes. So Damanhur means a city of light. There is also a Damanhur still existing today in Egypt, but uh, it's um, not so connected to the idea of the light as we are right now. So when the first founders got together, and this was at the beginning of the 70s. The idea was to be able to create a, a hub to bring in more consciousness. They started with the center in Torino. And at the time, the language was that of the paranormal. So it was a study for studying the a center for studying the paranormal. And then it became clear to them that that was not enough. And if they really wanted to grow spiritually, they needed to also create a new society. So eventually, after a couple of years of just meeting in the center, they decided to take off on a great journey to go and look for places with special energies around the world. And they really traveled to many, many continents. They met with shamans, they did meditations, they did what is called the astral journeys to feel and perceive the energetic environment of the places in a different way. And then one day, they got into the cars from Torino and they started driving in this area where we are now, which is really quite close, an hour from Torino. And this is also known for being a special energy area because uh, there are many legends here, especially of the Celtic times of people that disappeared, for instance, whole peoples that didn't disappear when the Romans came. And so... They say the special passages that import us in this valley. But anyway, when they arrived here, at a certain point, they stopped the cars, their cars in this place that now is we consider a capital. And mm -hmm. you saw it yesterday. So yeah. now it's like more of a garden than anything else. And, and, an, and a zone for many wonderful experiences, which we'll get into in a minute. Yes. And uh, so they stopped the cars there, but the, they were a little disappointed, like, oh, you know, we've been to Peru, we've been to Africa, we've been to Nepal, we possibly stop here. But the Oberto Iraudi that then we called Falco, because we all take animal names, so then his name became Falcon, he said, no, no, let's, let's stop here. And everybody got out of the car 
and something really strange happened. An old man started to run down the hill to meet them and he looked a bit angry and he started shouting at them and saying, hey, you're late. Why did it take you so long? So they were really like super surprised. And the man said to them that he had, had been having dreams, recurrent dreams for many years, telling him to buy that land piece after piece after piece, because one day a group would come and from there a new civilization would start. And he recognized one of the women that were in the group. So he said, it's you. And the funny thing is that this man never even built a small house for himself. For all that time, he lived in a caravan because he always felt that was not the land to be his home. This was to be the home of somebody else. And so, yeah, pretty amazing. And so then that's where Davenor started. And, And what happened to the man? Well, the man died very short after signing the deed. He felt it was over, you know, he, that his life was, he had done what he had, the dreams had been telling him. Wow. So what an amazing origin story for Domenher. And what year was this? And this was 1978. And so from this land grew a place. And so can you walk me through what Domenher is today? Yes. So today, Damanor is, as you very nicely said in the beginning, not just a place, also a project. The central part of Damanor is here in Piedmont, where we have about 600 people living in this valley, not all together. We have different homes, farms all over the valley, and we're always in interspersed with the local people because the, that's the idea. We don't want to be isolated in a place where that is locked up. We are a community that we recognize ourselves for our values, our history, uh, the shared way of living. And at the same time, we want also to be able to constantly have a relationship with the people who live here. We actually felt it was very important for us to recuperate many of the local traditions in, in everything, you know, in the artisan fields, in the food, in uh, what we grow, going back to what is the real history, the roots of this land that has welcomed us. And then at the same time, now we're also a movement around the world. We have thousands of people connected to us, to our school of initiation, our mystery school, and also to the way of living communally, because we really believe that the future of humanity is in re-establishing communities. They can look, you know, very different from us, but the idea that when humans get together and they share an ideal and they share values and they share the education of the children, they share ritual, something much greater opens in terms of possibilities for all of us. We can access a greater field of intelligence. So there's so much in that because I think everyone is looking for sustainable communities and sustainable ways of living. And I know the UN has recognized model uh, the Dalinhar model as a potentially new way of, of living. But I want to like dive in for a second about something you said because it was tied to the question I wanted to ask next, which is, mystery school. You said mystery school, and I'm seeing this more and more, different pockets around the world, people talking about the idea of mystery schools. And you also mentioned the initiation. So what is a mystery school? And what is the kind of more esoteric work that you're doing with people who are part of the community here and people like myself who are visiting? What a good question. And um, so for us, our mystery school is um, the idea that you can enhance the inherent potential of a person 
it is like you're increasing the electricity or in a system. So we know that everyone has an inner divine part. Sometimes it's difficult to listen to that divine part because we are immersed in confusion. And initiation is like a clear connection with the divine. And the more this energy increases, the more the voice of the divine inside can be heard. For us, and this is sometimes um, strange in today's world, this also goes hand in hand with discipline. So we understand that freedom doesn't mean that I do whatever comes through my mind, but freedom comes from educating myself to really listening and then with coherence day by day through my actions and my choices continuing on the path that I know is taking me to this personal evolution. And our mystery school is also based on the idea that it's very difficult to do this alone. But I can do it if you help me, and you can do it if I help you. And we're really convinced that enlightenment in this epoch will be group enlightenment. It's not going to be individuals. It's going to be entire groups that recognize themselves as something greater. At the end of this path, what we are seeing is the actual rebirth of peoples. We need to help the indigenous people because they hold the wisdom of the past and also visions for the future. And most of all, this balance with the earth, they never lost it, but also they've been very damaged. So we need to help them go back to their original essence. And as we do that, we believe that new peoples can be born, which means to reestablish a connection with nature, with the beyond, with the ancestors, with the new souls that come in a full cycle of life. So our mystery school is based on the idea that we can do this. So that begs the question, how? Because it seems to be working to systematically discover tools for coherence. And this is perhaps best expressed in the approach of art and the temples. So Dhammadhar is maybe most famous for the temples of humankind. Can you describe what the temples of humankind are? Yes. So if you come to see the temples, they are a, quite an extraordinary, extraordinary because they're totally out of the ordinary, having been built underground by hand, excavated in secret for 16 years, and now it's uh, 40 years of uh, more art in the temple. So they're really quite stunning. And uh, for you who are listening, you can go online and type temples of humankind. There are many, many videos. There are photographs. And there is also the possibility of taking a virtual tour of the temples now. And the temples are built into the mountain. Yeah, we excavated them by hand inside the mountain because here in that specific place is where the energy lines of the planet met, synchronic lines. So the temples are a transceiver. They receive information, they host energies, they are very high frequencies. You can call them divine energies, if you will. But these new energies, they're helping Damanor growing and through this also sending a signal to the whole of humanity to help humanity awaken. And then they also send out signals of everyone that comes to the temples to visit them, that has a beautiful emotion or that has uh, uh, comes to meditate and has an insight. All of that from the temples goes to feed the collective field. They're kind of the newosphere, so to speak. Yeah. So, and for those who don't know the concept of the newosphere, Verdansky, um, back in, I believe, the late 1700s, had posited this idea that the newosphere was an energetic layer that surrounded the planet that contained all of the knowledge and thought of, of humankind 
past, present, and future. And this is something that you can almost energetically tap into for insights and, and information. And from that, many schools of thought have, have arisen. Talk to me, like walk me through the temples because the art inside the temples is exquisite. And it's very, very talented artists who are creating these cathedrals in the mountain. Uh, is this part of the community? Yes, everything in the temples from the excavation to every single touch of brush has been uh, created, made by Damanurian citizens. So um, yes, they are extraordinary artists now. <laughs> they were not when they came to Damanur. We maybe had two, three people that were artists before, but our main sculptor, who's really fantastic, used to be someone who checked tickets on a train. <laughs> and joined them when very young. And then in the very beginning, they were inviting artists to teach them. And they invited a sculptor. And this man said to him, you know, you have an amazing talent. So then he started cultivating it. And now that's what he does. He's a full-time artist. And this is true of many of our artists here. So we like to think that in this, we're a little bit like the Renaissance, where people come and discover their talents. We have incredible glasswork. And one of the, our main artists for glasswork is a former bank director from Siena. And he came to Damanor after retiring because his daughter lives here and is grandfather. They're part of the community. So he said, well, I'm going to check out the community. Then he fell in love with the community. And now that's what he does. And he said, I've never had so much fun. The glass is it, it truly exquisite. It's like cathedral level yes. um, glass. And these cathedrals and these temples have been dug straight out. You told me, I think, the other day that there were two million buckets of rock. That's how that many we counted. Carried yes. out of the mountain over yes. the last 25 years. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> and they're heavy. And sometimes, the, you know, I would pass it to you, you would pass it to another person. Like we got really specialized in human chains passing buckets. And sometimes they were coming from, you know, like 30 meters deep down into the earth. One of my favorite places in the temples was a place called the Room of Spheres. And I, I found this room to be extremely meaningful for me because the feeling that each of these spheres create when you stand in front of it and focus on it was very unique. Can you talk to me about the spheres and the Room of Spheres? Yes, so uh, the temples are also laboratory and they are a very sophisticated technology. I said that they were built inside this flow of synchronic energy. So you need terminals to connect to these energies. A little bit like if you have uh, the internet, you need a computer and a screen if you want to interact through you know, some of our senses. And so the spheres are the same thing. So they're like the screens for the whole system. So through these different spheres, you can connect to different areas of the planet because they connect to different energy lines. You can connect to different areas of the noosphere because there's not only the human noosphere, every animal also, every kingdom of nature, the trees have their own part of their consciousness in the noosphere. So the spheres allow you in that room, the spheres in that room allow you to connect to different areas of the planet and also different levels of the consciousness of the all that is the life, the continuum of life. One of the interesting things that's happening in the scientific world is scientists and researchers are starting to understand a theory that some aspects of consciousness, or maybe all aspects we don't know yet, are related to energetic, like electrical transference, like the energetic atomic energy that moves from an electron, proton, and a neutron, uh, a neutron as he 
atomic level. And the more complex an organism or a structure is, the faster this energy moves and the more complicated the system by which it moves from a kind of cellular and atomic level. And so based on this, the idea that plants and animals have consciousness becomes very logical. But even the idea that stone has a very slow wave, it's like if you think of a sine wave or a cosine wave, it's a very, very long cosine wave, but it also has a kind of anything that is material has a form of consciousness. It's just not something that we can easily tap into. Is, is that an idea that you guys are exploring here? Would you believe that everything, even if it's not in a way that we can interact with it, has a form of like consciousness based on this electrical transference? And if so, I'm really curious, like what are you guys learning about decoding that? So yes, I would say that we don't believe that they have a consciousness based on the electrotransfers. I would say that the electrotransfers is a way to assess that there is some information exchange. Okay. Because consciousness comes in our understanding for the fact that everything that exists on this planet comes from the absolute. What varies is the awareness of that absolute, is that awareness of the divine presence in you. So we as human beings, like many other species on the planet, dolphins, whales, elephants, and many more, have this consciousness of being both material, we have a body, and also being divine or consciousness. So we have a very special responsibility. Uh, one of the things we do in Damaner to remind ourselves of this constantly as a sort of game, we take upon ourselves animal, plants, and crystal names. So my name is Perida is a sunset butterfly. Okay. Ananas means pineapple. And then yeah. my third name is Amethyst. <laughs> Great. And you must be initiated to receive a name, I suppose. Uh, this is not really part of the initiation path. Uh, this is more part of this more social, spiritual game of life that has to do with uh, feeling that you have changed parts of yourselves and others also seeing that change in you. Wonderful. I love that the bells are going outside, mm -hmm. tolling the fact that it's noon o'clock. The codes. Dominar is famous for trying to unravel some level of esoteric understanding about symbols. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yes. Again, you asked me questions that are really interesting, and I'm trying to find the, in, just a, near an interesting angle to reply. So I would say two things. One, we are convinced that because this is a new time, with a new alliance between humans and the divine, yesterday we were through the temples, the labyrinth. Mm -hmm. In the labyrinth, we represent all the divine forces of humanity, of all peoples, all times, creating together a new story. A story of union, a story of mixing of their best qualities so that even the gods of war would be more mellow now. <laughs> really a new unity. So if this is true, and this is changing, and we believe it is, and this is one of the reasons of the awakening of today, we also need to find new symbols, because the symbols of the old religions, of the old spiritual uh, movements are not the ones that we need for now. So this is very exciting, because we are all called to find this. What are the new symbols that are going to represent this new epoch of awakening? We cannot use symbols that come from 5,000 years ago. They are useful as a basis for inspiration, but what are the new frequencies for all of us now, for the humans of now and the future? And the second is, 
we use in Damanur as the basis of the decoration for the temples, what we call sacred language, because sacred because we use it for the temples and uh, that has ideograms, sound, and also dance, because we are convinced that something to be really alive, we need to be able to translate it with more than one sense. So not just seeing it, not just speaking it, but also being able to embody it. And to move it. So does every symbol in the sacred language have a movement? Most of them. Uh, we have, at the moment, more ideograms, this, the dance, but we have our groups of dancers that when we do not have a dance steps, maybe they combine two dance steps to create that new ideogram. Wow, that's so interesting. So it's, it's seen, it's spoken, and it's moved. Yes. That's so fascinating. I think it comes down to this idea that symbols can unlock or convey energy. They can, and we have to remember that the most important symbol, the most magical symbol there is, is the human body. We are, each one of us, we are a three-dimensional magical sign. And a lot of our you know, past culture, the recent past, has been in disconnecting the mind from the heart and the body. So the new symbols, the new languages of the new times of awakening need to put them back together. We need to understand that if we are humans, this is our, our body is the most important magical instruments we have. This is our most important alchemical laboratory. We can produce all states of consciousness in our bodies if we learn how to use it through discipline and practice. So discipline and practice in the context of learning, how does Dalmanhur educate its citizens and its visitors? <laughs> what a good question. Um, I would say the most, uh, the basic uh, part of education is giving people the experience of what it feels to be a group and not be an individual. So that is the basic of education. And then, of course, interest. what excites you? Are you someone that's excited with dancing? Then go into the study of the symbols through your body. Are you interested in painting? Maybe you want to try the temples and so on. We have people here that love agriculture, and that's their field of research. How you connect to the earth, how you can make the earth grow beautiful things. I thought you said something very interesting yesterday about food. So let's talk about food for a second. Yeah. Um, Dominher is scattered with greenhouses, and, and you guys have a philosophy here that everyone should have at least some touch to the growth of the food. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yes. So thank you. I love this question. This is my favorite. I love eating. But I also love... <laughs> well, we're in Italy, so yeah, of course right, the food exactly. has to be good. But I'm also very passionate about changing the way we understand our relationship with food. Because again, if we are in a chemical laboratory and we're the most magical sign that there is, the most important thing with food is the experience. And uh, in our times, again, people think how many proteins, vitamins and carbs, and that's the way in which you kill the food completely, because you take away the experience of that being, whether it's a plant, whether it's water, whether it's an animal that you're eating. What we are eating is the life experience of that particular being. So when I'm eating a plant, I'm eating the experience of something, a being that lives with sun with the sun and water very different from me i need many more components into my body mm -hmm. if i'm eating a fish i'm eating a being that has the experience of living in water like i will never have 
So this is what we need to honor. And I think this is what, for instance, the Native Americans had so clear, and many indigenous people, you're eating the essence, the life experience. So if I'm eating meat of an animal that's been tortured, killed with no consciousness and then packed up in plastic. I have to be aware that that is the experience I'm putting into my body. It doesn't matter if there is protein there. What I'm doing is poisoning myself. That is very powerful thinking. That is a very interesting approach to thinking about how we consume our food. How does that manifest into the space here? Like I know that um, Falco or someone here had posited the idea that everyone should have a little something that they're growing or tending. Yeah even if they live in a big city. Yeah, so this is, yeah, this Falco, this was one of the teachings of Falco about alchemy. Again, the idea of our body being an alchemical laboratory and being, having a sense of purity in whatever you put into your body. So you cannot have purity if you're not engaged in something, if you don't put your love into something. So even just symbolically to do that, Having a little plant of basin on your windowsill that you love, that you take care of, and you eat a little leaf of that, and you bring that into your body with the idea that you're honoring all of nature and putting some of your life force in that, it's the beginning of something greater, of a new relationship with food and life, because food is life. And we forget this, that life, what is life? Life is information, experience, and love. So that's what I want to bring into my body. <laughs> I love it. It's such a beautiful view of, of food. So we've talked about community. We've talked about the temples. We've talked about a little bit of the history. Can you tell me more about Falco? So he passed away a few years ago, and he was the founder of yes. the idea. We were driving back in the car last night, and David Weber, who is a pretty enlightened being in some ways, said to me, I wish I could figure out how Falco convinced all these people to spend 30 years digging out a mountain. <laughs> it's a very amazing thing. So talk to me about who Falco was. Falco was a dreamer that um, managed to make many people dream their dreams with him. So I don't think he convinced anyone. I just think he showed others and made them feel what was possible. And of course, the founders of Dhamma are the first ones that started building the temples uh, where people with high ideals, uh, most of them were young, so they were looking really for, to do something amazing. And uh, the idea of the temples was the idea of this big secret to create a big gift for humanity. And so they were motivated by that. And then, of course, there was something really out of the ordinary because these people were you know working normally during the day i mean kids have a life and then they would spend the night digging i arrived when the temples were already built most of them so i was i came here actually to help save the temples i directed the press campaign the world press campaign because the italian government wanted to destroy the temples that had been built without building permit but of course the reasons were deeper than that you mm -hmm. know this is a catholic country the temples are definitely not catholic it was a hot 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 debate at the time and so it took us four years to find the a legal way to keep the temples, even though we, we had built them on our land and, you know, without damaging anything or anyone, but it was very complex. So I arrived to do that. So I didn't participate in the excavation. But when I met these people, I was like, wow, there must be something really special. How is this even possible? You know, it seemed 
totally impossible. So Falco was someone that was always making the impossible seem possible, easy and exciting. Yeah. And the temples in particular, they were dug in total secrecy. Yes. So no one knew about them except no. the people doing it. And how many people kept that secret over how many years? So uh, in the very beginning, we're like maybe a dozen people, because also the Damanurian citizens that came to live here were not shown the temples immediately. Maybe they lived here for two, three years without even knowing that their brothers and sisters were digging the temples. But I think at the largest number of people knowing about the temples when the secret was uh, still in existence were about 120 people. That's a lot of people to be keeping a secret in, yep. in this day and age. So that says something. Well, this was at the end of the 90s. Wow. Sorry, uh, the beginning of the 90s, because the temples were discovered in 1992 by the police. <laughs> so this was before, you know, cell phones, and so yeah. there was a little more privacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So we're now at this inflection point where the world has had, you know, a year, a year and a half of time to reflect, for people to move inward and to think inward. But you can see now all around the planet, people are coming out. And there's a new view. And I think many people have had a chance to think reflectively about their own relationship to the cosmos or to nature or to the divine or, you know, many things that resonate more with the heart and less with, say, the world of business. I'm curious, what is Dalinher's vision for the future? Yeah, for us, what is very important is that we don't go back to normal that the world does not go back to the normal that we knew before. And our vision for the future, we, um, we think we know that there will be more climate uh, challenges, more and more and more frequent. So again, the best way for humanity and for people to go through these difficult times is to be together to create community and also understanding that it is the earth herself that is going through a change. So we can say, we can live this with fear or against what's happening or embrace the fact that our planet is also evolving and some of it is not so pleasant for us, but how can we create a connection with Gaia, with Pan, with the forces of the earth so that we can go through uh, this transition together, not against we call this the age of the Anthropocene, the, the, the first human geological age, yeah. right? Do you think that the Anthropocene is part of a larger plan? That it's some, something almost divine that we're just a component in? Or do you think that humans play a role in shaping what's coming next in terms of the planet? Like, we're part of the planet as humans, but we're also, you could argue, destroying the planet. Yeah. And we don't seem to be on track to change that course. And even if we were, the potential damage that we do to ourselves because of the path we're on is, is vast and great. And is this something that Dominarians feel? And do you feel that we can get ourselves out of this pickle? So... We don't think we're going to destroy the planet. We're damaging the planet, sure, but the planet at a certain point will say enough if we continue like this. This is obvious. Mm -hmm. So it's more the second part. We are really a kind of um, destroying ourselves as a species by creating an environment where we cannot survive. And this is very sad because as a species, we have beautiful things. We are capable of love, like, you know, in, uh, of sacrifices for each other, the arts, beauty, so much incredible. 
elevated uh, things that we have in ourselves that come from the divine spark within us. At the same time, it's obvious that we also have a part in us that goes against this, a principle of entropy. So again, as humanity, we have to be able to make choices. That we, it's in our hands. Our destiny is in our hands. I'm sure there is a divine plan. And I'm sure there is a divine plan also for our evolution. In Damano, we call this vine a design of the evolution of humanity, not only on this planet, but how we play it out on this planet, it's up to us now. So we have to make the right decisions. I noticed in the temples, there, in one of the main cathedrals, there's a large mural. And it's really, I can't underline enough how Italian, in a way, and beautiful. Like the, these murals are like Da Vinci quality in some places and other places they're like scan quality. <laughs> like, they're much more basic, but in some places they're extremely beautiful and well-designed. And one of the things that I noticed from, there's many depictions of people, but all the people are beautiful in, in their own way. Like they could be 85 or two, but they all have a certain light. sense of inherent light and beauty imbued in them. So it's almost seeing the best of humanity in the temples. That was uh, an impression I had. But in this one particular mural, there's this kind of war between, we called it entropy a minute ago, but from the shadow self and the the kind of this dimensional self. Can, can you dive into that for a second, like about that mural and describe it for our listeners and and the, the message that was in, imbued in that? Yeah, that is a, a painting of this inner battles, but represented as if it's outside. So there are the Damanurians, and in front of them is a gray figure with the same face. To remind ourselves that the real battle is within our own limitations. It's not with, I'm not going to fight you. I have to be able to contain. First of all, be aware that I have limitations, that not everything that I do is always good. And then once I accept that, to learn how I can contain my limitations so that more and more light can come out. And this is fundamental. We need to take responsibility for what we're doing and who we are. And how do we do that? Through others, beauty, a sense of humor. So everybody painted in that mural is fighting with a smile. And they have beautiful costumes, as you say, and there's the light coming out because this is how we can win this battle. But being aware that at every moment we have that free will so we can make choice in the direction of evolution when we go with others together on this path of awakening or we can make decisions in the direction of entropy and sometimes also not making decisions in this epoch is making a bad decision so lack of action is absolutely action or continuing to buy things that we know are polluting when we don't need them continuing to buy food that is full of pesticide and supporting those industries instead of buying local yeah maybe it's more expensive but the trade-off is incredible if everybody started to look local you know sometimes we speak of very big principles but we forget that the solutions are right here and now where we are mm -hmm. There's so many things about Dalman Hur to dive into. And so I think, you know, now's a good moment to invite people to look at the, the website. Yes. You guys have recently built a virtual reality version of the temple. So yes. a person can go into VR and experience a little taste. So it doesn't matter where in the world you are, if you're in Beijing or in like Torino, even you can yes. have a little taste of Dalman Hur. Yes. And of course, if people are interested in coming, we're always happy to invite them to visit individually and even better in groups, because then we can give them an experience of 
what we have discovered the beauty is of being in group. And hopefully we can inspire more and more people to join forces with their friends, their loved ones, and create more communities. So before we end, I'd like to take us on a little bit of a journey to the stars. And I'd like to understand a little bit more about what the initiation process means for education here, because I know that education, people can come for self-study or they can actually be part of like maybe a larger arc. I believe it involves meditation and it involves other, you know, techniques to be able to sort of expand or evolve your consciousness. So if you're giving people at home some, some insight into this, how would you describe it? And do you think that Dalmanharians believe that there's a pathway to greater understanding beyond ourselves in, in the sense of like this can say a middle realm between ourselves and this dimensional reality and the divine. But, you know, there are billions of stars out there. There's energy being conducted all across the universe. Neutrinos coming from the sun and blasting through every second on, on this planet. How do you guys see the relationship of like fractal awareness? So you have the self, you have the community, you have, say, Dhammahar, then you have, say, the planet or humanity, and then you have beyond. How are you guys educating people to learn or voyage between these dimensional realities? You ask so many different things in this question. I know, I'm terrible at asking more complicated <laughs> questions, so, but it's designed so to give you a feeling. What do you like me to <laughs> But um, yeah, we, our understanding of humanity is that the human soul is not just on this planet. This is one of the many planets seeded by more advanced civilizations that come from the stars. Then we also know that the Earth is very precious because the amount of life and diversity on this planet is not easily found also around other galaxies. So we are a very special gem in the universe. And for this, a lot of interests on this planet from other forces. We also believe that it's important that first we awaken, which means at least we prove that we can take care of our planet before more advanced intelligence will actually manifest openly to all of us. And if we don't do that, we risk the opposite. We risk at a certain point, more advanced civilization will say, okay, you know, ciao, you've been an experiment, but not so good. Let's change it. Right. So change again, the channel. Change the channel. So again, it goes back to our free will and how we learn to be in harmony with nature. We believe that as a part of the awakening of humanity, we need to be, to be able to go from the individual to community to new peoples again. This is very important. It's a step we forgot. But humanity is supposed to be organized in peoples, which means different cultures, different languages, the ability to have each one of them in the astral planes, they're part of their ancestors, so the memories are not lost, and trees and uh, nature are fundamentalists. If you think of the wonderful movie Avatar, the mm -hmm. tree that was hosting, holding and hosting the consciousness of the ancestors, yeah. that was a deep memory of humanity. Because this happened up to the time of the Romans. The Romans had sacred groves for the souls of the ancestors which was not the soul, but the memory of their experience so that it can come back. And we don't have it every generation to learn from zero or destroy what has been done, but we can continue to grow. So I think um, 
the vision of Dhammer for the future would be to take back that wisdom, but instead of thinking that time is circular, as many of the indigenous people did, so you're always, you are your ancestor coming back and life is always the same, you have the circle time that turns into a spiral. Because yes, we have that consciousness coming back, but we have our eyes toward the future, becoming a greater brotherhood, sisterhood with all the other human souls out there in the galaxy. And with that, we can reach also connection with the higher and higher levels of the multidimensional forces that we call gods. Till we don't know where. <laughs> because then as we awaken, we will see another uh, landscape. We will see another horizon. We another don't know reality. what the final is. Awakening to new realities. Thank you, Esprita. What an amazing conversation and an insight into the thinking behind Dhammaher. Thank you so much for your time today. For all the rest of you, you can come and see Dhammaher in Italy anytime you want. I'm Stan Stonker with the Hub Culture Chronicles live in the foothills of the Alps. Goodbye. Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank you, Stan, for having Thank me. Thank you so much. 